0: Friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures this morning and turn with me to the book of Numbers. Yes, the book of Numbers, Numbers in chapter 25, Numbers in chapter 25. We're going to discover an unusual person of faith here today, perhaps a story that uh, you may have read and forgotten about or never come across before in your reading of the Scriptures. Numbers chapter 25, let's pray. God, help us now as we we study your word. God, surprise us with the truths that we will find here. And God, I pray that, that, that you will give us some very clear guidance in how it is we ought to live in light of our study. God, be glorified in the way that we pay attention here today, in the notes that we take, in the plans that we make to honor you with our faith. And I prayed in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you ever heard the, uh, about the criminal. He was a counterfeiter, and he wasn't very good at it. He wasn't really that bright. A, he was a thief, and B, when he counterfeited a $20 bill, he actually counterfeited a $21 bill. I mean, he looked at this, and he had realized he had wasted all of his time and his effort until he came up with this idea. He would go up into the mountains where, you know, those people aren't that bright, and he would cash in his money there. So he went up to a gas station, and he said, sir, I wonder if uh, maybe you'd uh, break this, this bill for me. He says, well, sure, bring it up. And he looks at the bill real close, and the guy says, oh, I'm busted now. And sure enough, that guy puts that bill in his cash register, takes out three bills, and hands it over. Well, the guy is really pleased with himself. So he runs down to the restaurant, get a quick uh, cup of coffee, and the the guy, you know, brings it out, cream and sugar. The guy's feeling real good, reaches in his pocket to pay for it, and he finds he's got two sixes and a nine. (laughs) Friends, chasing money is a bad, bad, bad path. It's the wrong desire in this world. You will always end up bankrupt if money is your goal. And I don't necessarily mean poor, not when it comes to your bank account, friends, but in the inside, money will leave you empty. And we're going to meet a prophet in our text today. There was money hungry, as it were. I mean, here's a guy who, who heard the Word of God, spoke the Word of God. I mean, he is the guy responsible that God gave him a prophecy about the very place where Jesus was to be born. And yet, he's a schmuck. I mean, he's a bad dude. And he's the foil of the story today. So join me, if you will, as we continue our series entitled, Choosing to Live by Faith. And by the way, I I assume that's what you're here to do, is to practice, to learn, to be encouraged and motivated to live by faith. Because if you are to please God today, it will be in hearing and accepting His Word as true and acting on it. And friends, that's faith. When you take God at His Word and you act on it. So join me here in verse 1, and we're going to give a little context, a little running start, as it were, of uh, what's going on here. We're in the book of Numbers, perhaps some familiar territory, but the book of Numbers, uh, the key word we would give perhaps to this book is wanderings. Now, of course, in the past, in Genesis, the nation of Israel is in bondage to uh, the nation of Egypt. I mean, they are slaves. And of course, God raises up Moses, a whole bunch of plagues later, and out they go. Across the Red Sea on dry ground, and now they're headed toward the promised land. And they're going to face all kinds of obstacles along the way and some enemies this this group this bunch of slaves will at some point become a growing military force and that's where we find them in the book of numbers These nations now are in the fear of Israel. They dread Israel. They see this nation as filling the land and overcoming every army they face. God has given them victory over, really, two great kings in his armies, Og and Sion. You know, those might not be familiar, but in the day, everybody knew these were a force to be reckoned with, and yet Israel went through them like a wet paper bag. God was on the move among his people, and the nations are in great fear of Israel. Balak, the king of Moab, the Moabites, was an ally with the Midianites and had seen the conquests of Israel, verse 20 and 21 recorded, and he was afraid. He was afraid his people would be overcome just as the others. And he realized that the armies would never be able to to defeat this nation of Israel. So he resorted to some spiritual deception. And he came up with a plan. If we can't beat them face to face, let's go around their back. And he hired, bribed really, a prophet named Balaam. Yeah, the guy with the donkey. Yeah, that's the one, you know? Yeah, so Balaam, with with great riches. Oh, he offered everything. and, And God had told him, no, you're not going to curse my people. And that's exactly what Balak wanted Balaam to do. Because he knew something that when Balaam spoke, it came to pass. But what was going on is the Lord, Yahweh, was speaking through him. And what happened came to pass. So he had a reputation of speaking and it happening. And so we thought, if we can get Balaam to curse these people, well, problem solved. The problem is the Lord said, no, I am not going to curse these people. And Balaam knew that he couldn't go where God didn't lead him, but he sure liked those riches. I mean, it's nice to have a new set of clothes or two, A brand new display in your closet. No worries because of the riches in your bank account. And I'll tell you, Balaam, he loved the treasure. Hmm. But even though God said no, Balaam tried to figure out a way. Unfortunately, for Balaam anyway, in Numbers 22 to 24, it is recorded that Balaam steps up to curse Israel three times. He's like, "I'm going to give it the old college try anyway." And he gets up on a mountain with Balak, and he's all about to—he's about to curse these people and, and 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 cause chaos and horrible things to happen. But every time he goes up to curse them, he ends up blessing them. And Balak's back there going, "Maybe he doesn't understand what this means." He's like, no, let's try it in a different place. Come on over here. Yeah, this is the view that'll really curse him. And he steps up to offer this cursing on Israel. And yet again, the blessing of God comes through his mouth. And Balak is not happy. He's like, oh, we got to come over here. This is the best real estate if you really want to bring a cursing on someone. And yet even for the third time, Balaam brings blessing to Israel. And Balak is so angry. And you know what Balak does because he's so angry? You probably do this too. I mean, you're just furious. He starts clapping his hands. It's a weird thing in the Bible. Balak clapping his hands in anger. And Balaam, watching those treasures slip away. Like, I really tried. I gave it my best. And boom. He figures out how he can do it. See, God's attitude was an attitude of blessing on his people. But he knew how he could get God to change his mind. And you know what it is, right? I mean, even if you don't know the story here, you know the mind of God. You want to bring the anger of God on on yourself? Think about Jonah. Jonah honored to be a prophet of God, to go speak the words of Yahweh, and to watch how God changes their hearts. But Jonah says no. And there's the sinking ship, and then there's the belly of the great fish, and being vomited out of this thing must have been half as horrible as being inside. You want to get God's negative attention, friends? Turn your back on him. And that's exactly what happened. And so we see Balaam's comeback. And the theme might be, if you can't beat them, join them. Can't beat them? Join them. So Balaam, in Numbers 31 and verse 16, we read about his plan. Balaam had advised Balak... To have the the women of the Moabite clan and the Midianites, if you can get them, to go and invite the men out for a feast. And that feasting turned into worship and spiritual idolatry. And now they have God's attention. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 1 of chapter 25. God's anger about their adultery is now being poured out via a plague. So notice here in verse 1, we see Israel's corruption. They are guilty of spiritual adultery. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab these invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods, you know, just fitting in with the neighbors, you know. I mean, that's how you reach them anyway, right? You got to live like them first. No, you'll never reach anyone by being like them. The only way to reach them is to be different than them. There has to be an offer of change, my friends. So, verse 3 tells us Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. It worked. It worked. You want to see God angry at his children? Just turn your back. Live your life your own way, and I guarantee you will see the loving discipline of our Lord. Parent never seems like a happy friend when they pull out the belt, when they bend you over their knee, but there is no act greater of a parent than to say, I will not allow you to destroy your life by living this way. And so here is Israel, guilty of corruption. And now they are the target of God's discipline. Right here in the midst of a plague. And the Lord said to Moses, you take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord. That the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And so God takes sin seriously. Sometimes we laugh it off and we call it a mistake. Oh, it's a mistake, all right. But my friends, it's not tripping over a Lego in the living room in the dark. The lights are on and you make a choice to walk away from God. And that's what Israel did. They saw something that they thought was a little better and they took it. And now the strong arm of discipline of God is against them. Changing their hearts or taking even away their lives. Hmm. And so Israel's corruption, is kind of a dark story, isn't it? You know, it even feels a little dark in here. You know, sit a little closer to someone. Scary. <laughs> it's a dark story. And it's a sad story, isn't it? And I wonder if it's ever been part of your story where you just walked away and you said, not today, today I'm doing it for me. Today I'm going to do what feels good for a change. Today I'm going to do what makes me happy. And suddenly you're down a road and you don't really know how you got there, but it all goes back to choices. And things start happening in your life. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your relationships to start falling apart. You say, what is going on? And maybe you've considered that maybe it's the Lord who's trying to draw me back. The loving discipline of a God who cares about you. Who doesn't want you playing in traffic that will surely run you over. Just a way to bring you back. And that's Israel. And the discipline is on. So we see their corruption in verses 1 to 5, but I want you to notice their exceptions. And in just a moment, we're going to meet that most unusual person of faith, a name that perhaps is, is completely unfamiliar to you in the scriptures. Look at Israel's exceptions. Well, they have exceptional arrogance. The arrogance of their sin. Jesus said men love darkness because their deeds are evil. We like to hide and cover and be, be away a, a, a from everyone else, and we don't want anyone to know our shame. But not these people. And behold, easy enough to just whiz by that word, but let's just Understand the word behold for a moment. This is an interjection as schoolhouse rock starts playing in your head. It shows excitement, it shows passion and emotion. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, back to the sermon here. All right, and this is a word that's like, whoa, unbelievable. Can you believe what's going on here? Take a look. One of the people of Israel, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses. I mean, right in front of everyone. There was no shame in it. We will parade it around and we will tell everyone in their face, it's okay if I do this. And that's exactly what this guy is doing. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. And what were they doing? They were weeping. Weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. While all of Israel was gathered together to hear from the Lord. And here's this man dragging this woman in front of everyone arrogantly before God saying, we will do what we want. Hmm. Exceptional arrogance. And the exceptional arrogance is met with exceptional zeal. Hint, this is the guy of faith. When Phineas, seriously, that's his name, Didn't have a brother named Ferb. Relax. When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it. He didn't say, well, that's really bad. They shouldn't do that. You know? He acted on it. He knew what the heart of God was on this. This sin must stop. And he watched the people around him dying. Because of this sin. He saw it. And he rose and left the congregation. And he took a spear in his hand. And he went after the man and, of Israel into the chamber. It's his bedroom. They were sleeping together. The arrogance of this act. And Phinehas pierced both of them. The man of Israel and the woman through the belly. One shot, then get through, boom, and he ended it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Phineas judged these people. Judging is not a good thing. You shouldn't judge people's sin. Friends, what Phineas was doing was saving lives. There was a plague moving through the camp because of the arrogance of the people of God. God. They're adultery. They're thumbing their nose at God. And notice, the moment that spear went through them both, the plague of the people of Israel was stopped. I wonder if God was not just waiting to see if anyone would make a stand for him. Though the whole community of faith walked away from God, there was at least one. Someone that knew the heartbeat of God, that this is wicked, it is sinful, it is destruction, and it has to stop. And Phinehas, he picked up a spear, and he ended it. And the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. The death toll, cha-ching, 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 one over the other, numbers, 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 and it ended. When did it end? When someone who knew the heart of God and was willing to act on it did so. And in seeing this exceptional arrogance, countered by this exceptional zeal of Phineas in verses 7 and 8, we see the exceptional Results of sin. Take a look, verse 9. I mean, how many people died here? Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 20, no 24, no 24,000 people died that day because sin. Is vomit in the nostrils of God. It is a stench to God. It is filth to Him. You know, by the way, this little verse you may have learned in Sunday school the wages, say it with me, of sin is death. (laughs) Sometimes it's a sinking ship. Sometimes. It's about a broken relationship. Sometimes it's the belly of the whale, and sometimes it's just death. Sometimes God chooses to take you out because your sin is such a shame to the people of God, to the testimony of God in a community. 1 Corinthians, talking about the Lord's Supper, Paul, to a community of arrogance, people at the Lord's Supper, drinking, getting drunk, eating before everyone gets there, selfishness. Hmm. And Paul reminds them, because of this, some of you are sick and some sleep. He's talking about death. God takes sin very seriously. Hmm. Perhaps if we get anything out of this this morning, it certainly should be that. Do you want to be vomit in the sight of God? Go ahead. Ignore Him. Pretend like it doesn't matter. Like what you heard is only part of the buffet of this world. All of it is equally good. Do what feels right to you. Do what seems right in your own eyes. Hmm. The exceptional result 24,000 people are dead. But notice in verse 10, And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Did you see it? The discipline of God was one of love. These are my people. I mean, it is God who gave this nation birth via a promise to Abraham. It is the God who delivered this, this new nation out of bondage. It is the God who carried them and led them up till this point. And regardless of the testimony of God's faithfulness in his care, they walked away. Is there a duck in here? I swear I heard a duck. Should I go home? <laughs> okay, did anybody else hear that, or am I seriously crazy? Okay, you did. All right. Well, maybe we're both crazy, huh? <laughs> God takes this sin seriously, my friends. So many are dead. Phineas is now commended by God. And just as Hebrews 11 tells us that many of old were commended because of their faith. And while Phineas is not listed, he falls under the category of others in this list of the hall of faith in Hebrews. But he is jealous as God is jealous. He is in tune with the heartbeat of God. And because he believed it, he acted on it, and he was commended for it. The sinning couple, they go down in infamy. The Scripture names them by name. They are no longer generic people. Their shame is to be known for all ages. The name of the slain man of Israel who was killed with a Midianite woman it was Zimri, the son of Salu, the chief of the father's house, belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zer, who was the tribal head of the father's house of Midian. Perhaps because they were leaders, they were arrogant. But now their names are known. And the Midianites and the Moabites, remember these guys? Like, here's what we'll do. We'll get Balaam to curse them. And now, just as God had said to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless And those who curse you, I will curse. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Harass the Midianites and strike them down. For they have harassed you with their wiles which they beguiled. In the matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the chief of Midian, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague and on account of Peor. You just need to go another couple of chapters to find the end of Balaam. In this battle in which Moses is living out what God has called him to do, one of the deaths is identified as Balaam. Balaam. Don't choose riches over God. Don't choose things over what cannot be held but only experienced, his peace, his grace, his goodness, the spiritual riches that are given to him are given to us by him. Wrap it up, friends. Here it is. You ready? Sermon in a sentence. It is a dangerous and foolish thing to be for what God is against and against what God is for. It is a dangerous and foolish thing to be for what God is against and against what God is for. What God has blessed, do not curse, my friends. And what God has cursed, do not bless. Acting in faith is the response of someone in sync with the heartbeat of God. Is to expect what he says is true and to act on it to be in sync with the heartbeat of God. Faith in God results in actions for the glory of God. Faith in God results in actions for the glory of God. And know this, my friends. Do not miss this truth. God will always reward those who put their trust in Him. He will always reward those who put their trust in Him. It is certainly exhibited here. It is demonstrated through the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And friends, all you have to do is look around in church history or even in this room. God will always reward those who put their trust in Him.